they used to have these like all hands meetings like early in the morning. And it was stressful for some people who were dropping off and picking up daycare and kids from school and stuff. And finally, somebody said something about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, great. No, we won't start in no meetings in this company until 10 a.m. And that solved that problem. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to human resources innovators about innovation in the world of HR. If you're a people leader or you're looking for a new way to think about how to help others be successful, this is the podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited for today's conversation. We were talking before I hit the record button, and this is going to be a good one, I'm just telling you right now. So I'd like to welcome to the show today Scott Beeson. Scott is a professor of management and a Silberman Global Faculty Fellow at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He has a book coming out called The Whole Person Workplace. Uh, by the time this podcast airs, it will be available. So uh, check that out. I'm sure you're going to want to check that out after the conversation today. And he uh, also has a, uh, a book that is near and dear to my heart, The Working Dad's Survival Guide, How to Succeed at Work and at Home. So with three kids under 10, I feel that, man. I feel it. So <laughs> also a, an accomplished professional speaker, has published over 30 academic journal articles and book chapters presented. Uh, at a number of different places, a contributor to CBS, MSNBC, NPR, Fox News, Bloomberg Radio. We're excited we've got you on the show today, Scott. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I can tell from the conversation before I hit record that we've got we can we could talk about a lot of different things. Sure. Uh, but I think before we get into that, I'd just like to understand a little bit more about what drove you to understand uh, some of the some of the things that you have written books on. So working as a, yeah. as a working parent, being a whole person and focusing on that in the context of the workplace. Yeah. So I've been an academic for a long time. I, you know, teaching at the business school at Fairleigh Dickinson University. I teach things like human resources and organizational behavior, and I do research in these types of things as well. And I've done a lot of my, my scholarship in things like workplace flexibility and uh, work life uh, programming and stuff. And that started back in my dissertation in the 90s. So it's been a long time. And about 10, 12 years ago, I, I got to what I call my like mid-career crisis, where I was very frustrated as an academic that, you know, a lot of my work, like, you know, you, I don't know how much you know about academic writing and journal articles and stuff. It's, you know, you kill yourself to write this article. It takes two years to come out. And then like 50 other professors read it. And that's about all the impact a lot of it has. Mm. And so, you know, I started thinking to myself, you know, there's got to be something I could do that has a little more impact. So I started thinking about like, who needs good information about balancing work life and, and work life challenges? And it's working parents and their employers. So I was like, good, that's what I'm going to do now. And you know, I started doing a lot more public facing work to help working parents and then you know, employers. And so the culmination of the working parents part was the Working Dad Survival Guide book, uh, where there was a real hole in what's out there. Um, there's lots of stuff for moms, uh, lots of resources and ideas and books and things like that. And there was not, and I still believe there is no other uh, book of advice and encouragement for fathers trying to balance work and family than, than what I wrote six years ago. 
And then, you know, I pivoted again and the culmination of my work with employers uh, led me to the whole person workplace. And um, that's kind of you know, where I am today. So how can employers, um, and it's a little broader than just working with parents, right? How can employers be, value their employees as whole people? So not just like someone who shows up at a certain time and leaves at a certain time, or, right? People don't exist just when they're at work, right? Um, they, they're whole people with lives and responsibilities <laughs> and stressors and challenges and everything outside of work too. And what happens to people outside of work affects their work, right? And it's hard to really be engaged and focused at work if you're stressing out about childcare or, you know, or you're not physically or emotionally well, or you don't feel psychologically safe at work or, you know, all these things interact with each other. And so, you know, in my research and then culminating in this book and all my interviews I did with, you know, dozens and dozens of companies, you know, how do we support employees as whole people, and then what are what's the benefits of doing so? So um, that's kind of what this book really talks about. Yeah, I love that. And I think <laughs> any HR practitioner who's been in the in the industry for, for more than a, a, a hot minute can tell you that, oh, what happens outside of work matters, and that will trickle into the workplace, whether you want it to or not. There's, yeah. no, there's no invisible wall where somebody walks in and it's like, oh, I have a smile on, and now this terrible thing that happened to me this morning isn't going to impact how I feel today. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the the, um, the things that many organizations learned about during the pandemic work from home was, you know, we literally were seeing into people's lives, right? Uh, little boxes on screens. We see their cats and their kids and the their living rooms. And so this false separation, I think, that a lot of people have constructed between life and work was shown to be false, you know, even more so than it was before. And yeah, I think it's, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to do very well at work or, you know, feel well at work when you have things weighing down on you, stressors just, you know, holding you back. And, and that can range from everything. So you know, from young graduates who feel weighed down by their student loan debt to, you know, working parents to sandwich generation people to people who just, you know, might not be able to figure out a way to make ends meet or people who are, you know, just physically are, are, are overweight or having health problems. Like if an employer can help with those things, um, it's going to, it, first off, it's the right thing to do. And secondly, it helps build a better culture and workplace where people could do better work. Yeah, I remember. So this is going back a number of years. So hopefully the curriculum has changed. But when I was getting my my HR certification, which at the time was a PHR, yep. one of the questions, one of the questions in the test itself was, how do you deal with an employee who comes to you with a, you know, an emotional, personal situation? And and there was a right and a wrong answer. And the <laughs> right answer was send them to EAP. <laughs> wow. okay. You know, the, the other questions were like, listen, you know, let, let try to understand how you can help them. And like, you know, all the things that you'd want to do as a human. But, and that's, like I said, that's been a number of years ago. I'm sure the curriculum has changed a little bit, but it, I think that exemplifies that, that, that there's also been a significant change in attitude where it's not enough to say, here's a flyer. Right. <laughs> Call this 800 number. 
So you're um, depressed, right? Yeah. It's, yes, it's I'm bad. sorry. You're depressed. That sucks. Here, you know, like <laughs> like that, you know. And don't get me wrong. I love EAPs. They serve a yes. very important purpose. Yeah, they do. And I encourage every employer to have one. But you can't just stop there yep. when you're looking at at somebody's whole self, right? So, yeah. so what? As you were writing this and doing research, you kind of you know kind of living. <laughs> You know, you know, living the life of an uh, of an academic who's trying to make a difference. So, what? Wh- how do we? How do we respond to that? You know, what? What is the appropriate response to somebody who who brings the that outside world into the workplace? Well, yeah. So there, there is a fine line too. You don't. You want to make sure you respect people's privacy, right, and their lives outside of work, right. So we don't necessarily always want to make force people to share everything, right, but. What we need to do is listen and be empathetic. And we could do this on a large scale, right? In large organizations, we could do this on an individual basis in smaller organizations or within our teams. And, you know, if we just know what's going on, then hopefully we can, um, again, large organizations can have a multifaceted approach where they offer a wide range of benefits in an EAP and a wellness program and, you know, 20 other types of benefits that 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 are there. That's great, right? And that's a comprehensive way to, to, to build that. Smaller organizations or those who don't have the resources for that, you know, it's listening and making a custom fit solution that, that that's right for you and for that person and, and and everything else. But it really starts with really the listening and the empathy and just valuing the employee as a whole person, right? So, you know, some employers look at their employees as like a part of the machine. Um, and that's, you know, that only takes you so far. A lot of employers look at their employees as valuable assets, and that's good, right? Because we take care of valuable assets. We take care of our cars because we want the return on our investment, right? But that's that's good, but it's still transactional, right? And I think valuing and looking at our employees as whole people, you know, gets us to another level, right? And it's an extra level of responsibility. Uh, for employers and for HR professionals too, it makes our makes our jobs a little bit harder because we are extending ourselves. But um, the rewards are there, um, and it you know builds again the powerful culture where people reciprocate and uh, bring this to your customers, clients, to their coworkers, uh, etc. Yeah, I think it's you know it's it's so tough sometimes it, it to be in HR and to kind of know. Yeah. Where's the line? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. HR is, they're stuck in the middle in many cases, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're the employee's voice and advocate and you're the person they're supposed to come to. On the other hand, you work for management and you want to make sure the company is protected, right? So uh, HR is in the middle a lot, right? And what I say is lead with values when you find yourself in situations where you know, the path might not be exactly clear. Or the decision might not be exactly clear. If you have a, a set of values, you can really, you know, live by or make decisions by. I think that's probably the best way to start. Yeah. I think it's so important, you know, to, to realize that, you know, acting on behalf of a company, because uh, you're, you're a company steward at that point. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that you become a, a robot. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. You're not supposed to just read these talking points. You, yeah. And, and a lot of a lot of times, all you all you really should do is just is just listen. 
and yeah. seek to understand somebody's perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and just know, you know, sometimes it ain't about you <laughs> Yeah. and you just need to be there. And, and I think there's another point, important point that I'll make here for an HR practitioner that's listening is this isn't just about the individual, you know, it, this is about the systems that the individual is working within. So, so an example of that is, is daycare. So you mentioned daycare okay. and I know you've, you've, you know, that's been a part of some of the, some of the research you've done and, and how to support folks with that. So here's a great example of that. So turnover, you know, we're hearing all this noise around yeah. the great resignation and, you know, pandemic's a great example of, oh, when my kid can't go to school and daycares aren't, don't have capacity. Well, what do I do with my kid? Well, I guess my kid's at home and wow, this, <laughs> you know, this is hard. Um, yeah. But what we noticed at one of my previous companies was we were seeing a lot of turnover and the corollary was it was typically new hires and this didn't come out in our initial data, but we, we took a look at our data and we said, it's all, a lot of this is attendance and job abandonment. So what's, what's actually going on? And when we went out and we actually talked to the employees in the workspace about why so-and-so left, they were like, oh, they, uh, they had daycare and it fell through, or they had a family member watching their kid and the family member got a job. And it was like, or, you know, or they, you know, they didn't feel comfortable working during these hours because they didn't have anybody that could watch their kid and their kids at preteen and, you know. Yeah, so we were like, oh, well, that really, you know, how can we help that? You know, is there, so what we did is we found local resources, childcare yep. resource and referral. You know, we, we tried to find available spots. Come to find out in our local community, we were missing like 3,000 spots for daycare if, if people just wanted to get back up to the average participation rate in the economy. So it's like, oh, wow, there is truly a systemic issue in our community related to childcare. Well, as an employer, I can't cure all of this, right. but can I make my schedule more flexible? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Can, is there something I can do? And so what we ended up doing is we adjusted some of our attendance policies, became yeah. a little bit more flexible there. And then we communicated that we are family friendly and we told our employees, Hey, if you have an issue, we want to know before you quit so we can help you. Right. Yeah. And it was something as simple as that. And it was like, Oh, wow. That's really nice. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and it can be, you know, just listening and responding, right. It'd be a shame that somebody leaves without feeling like they could speak up. Right. Um, and you know, so two, um, two anecdotes from the book. So what one company just, they used to have these like all hands meetings, like early in the morning. And, uh, it was stressful for some people who were dropping off and picking up daycare and, kids from school and stuff. And finally somebody said something about it and they're like, Oh yeah, great. No, we won't start in no meetings in this company until 10 AM. And that solved that problem, right. Of, of these people being stressed about, you know, the, <laughs> the drop off and pick up and things like that. So that, you know, that, that's a simple solution that doesn't cost any money. That's right. And just, just like you, you know, being more flexible or whatever, that's not an spend of money. That's not building your own childcare facility on campus or, or on your, in your building, which I, some people, some companies do not, not really that many, but, but still that's one. And then secondly, there's a, a food store in um, California that I, I talked to the owner. Cause I talked to like multinational companies and then I talked to like very, very small companies and everything in between in all different industries. Cause I wanted to get like a variety of stories of employers that have been able to do like whole person workplace things. But this one, um, a married couple who worked at this food store, uh, one was like 
I believe one was an assistant manager and the other uh, just an hourly employee, but they had a baby. And the normal thing you would do is say, okay, well, we're going to like stagger your shift so somebody could be with the baby all the time. But if that were the case, they would never be together as a family, mm-hmm. uh, right? They would just be right. passing up. So the owner was just like, no, you guys still work the same shifts. Just bring the baby. Where are the baby? Like, and they did. And it's seven years later. They're both still there, right? And first wow. off, that's yeah. that's a return In on that industry. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, like that seven-year-old girl comes to the store all the time and is like the little mascot. And like all the, the regular customers know this girl because they've like known her growing up. And, you know, everyone asks about her and things like that. So it's, you know, I, what I love about that story it's not just helping these two employees and building their family in a, in a positive way. It had like these positive ripples, even into their community. Right. And showing a little bit like this could be done right in a, in their local area. So um, I just find stories like that pretty inspiring. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And you know, it, it just puts such a, it puts such a human face on a on a business on an organization. Yeah, and you know, you so yeah. Even if you peel back and you take like, you take all the stuff out of it, like, well, that's just a decent thing to do. That's nice, you know. That's that's a that's a very human thing to do. You, you're also like, oh wow, that's that's a really good marketing tactic. You know, there's a bunch of bunch of companies that pay billions of dollars in marketing a year to try to look more human or look like they're <laughs> empathetic. And, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, those actions, yeah. um, you know, just, just prove to, to, to your customers and to your employees that you are right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And you know, who wouldn't, I mean, this did not cost them any money, but that same employer, actually, he, um, he was getting ready to sell his car or to buy a new car. And he was just going to sell his old or trade in his old one with the purchase. But one of his employee employees was having trouble. Like his, you know, his car was having troubles and so he did not have reliable transportation. And that's a big risk for turnover, right. In these types of professions. So they wound up giving the car to that employee. And what he said is it was $1,200 what the car was valued at. That's 75 cents an hour for this person for the year. And, and again, this is someone who's, who has stayed with the, the store for, I believe it's going on five years later. And who wouldn't buy that, right, for $1,200, you know, just to get to your point. You know? Right. No, 100%. And I think it's, you know, if, if you're in HR and, you, and, and you're at a, an organization that's, that's a little bit larger, maybe you're not as yeah. connected to, to, to every employee in the company, sure. like, like my, my organization, but I would tell you, like, go look for those types of those interactions in those situations. Cause, Cause I guarantee you that there are managers that are doing things like that, whether you know it or not. And they might actually think they're not supposed to be doing it, but you know, it, like for instance, we had an intern that started, he's, he's uh, an international student, didn't have a car. So my manager took it upon himself to go like, ask the team, Hey, can anybody give this guy a ride? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and sure enough, somebody, you know, continued to give him a ride for like for months and just to help him out and then and then got the new car and then it was like there was a big celebration when he got his first car because he, <laughs> he'd been saving up this money for months you right. know and everybody was cheering and it was and uh you know and up and sometimes we're the last ones to know but you know those things happen and and i think there's a lot of really great examples of those occurring so as you're as those leaders are facilitating that type of behavior i i would also say like 
recognize those people, right? You know, those, those people who are inherently driven to do that. Those are your internal employee engagement team members, right? Like, like, like give them some celebration, recognize that. (laughs) Absolutely. You want to have a culture of uh, kind of a high trust culture in your workplace. And you probably have that, you know, certainly in pockets that's yours was a great example. And yeah, you don't want to get in the way of managers doing that, right? And sometimes, and you had said this about the old style of HR is no, 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 no. We don't want to, you know, do anything out of the ordinary because, you know, you never know. Um, No, what you want to do is allow people to have kind of ad hoc or informal accommodations or things like that, that, that make things work. And managers can do that. And team leaders can do that on a local level in a way that you know, leaders of an organization or the HR departments maybe can't, right? Yeah. Um, the HR department should be designing, you know, a variety of, of programming um, that employees can fit into, maybe helping managers and orienting managers to what they can do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the local management absolutely needs to be done by local managers. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. When Molly, Patrick, and I started to figure out how to start our own podcast, we didn't know where to start. Thankfully, we found Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it super easy for us to upload our episodes, track our listeners, and get listed on all the major podcast networks. Today's a great day to start your own podcast. I know that you're one of our listeners, so you've definitely got something to say. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't that hard when you have the right partner. and The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And now, for listeners of Rebel HR, you can get a $20 Amazon gift card sent to you from Buzzsprout by clicking in the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to grow your personal brand or your business brand? Take it from me that podcasts are a great way to do it. Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to the brands that we buy from. What better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your personal story on a podcast? I have had great success with KitCaster. KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. And let me tell you, it's all about the right human connection. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. For a limited time offer, Listeners to the Rebel HR podcast can go to www.kitcaster.com backslash rebel to get a special offer for friends of the podcast. Rebel on. 100%. I'm 100% aligned with you. And my organization is a great example. We've got, we're 26 different locations all over the world. You know, it's, yeah, those those local leaders are are really the key to everything. You know, you're there to support them. And I think the other thing I want to touch on real quick, you know, you're talking about programs and systems. And, you know, I, I think there's another corollary that you can draw here and that's to, um, that's to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that, you know, a a lot of the challenges that we're seeing, and there's, you know, there's some of these 
terrible situations that are occurring, they're really driven by systems, you know, yeah. broken systems, systemic racism and things like that. And one of the things that HR owns at an organization is some of the HR systems, right? So, so, yeah. you know, we, while we may not be able to do everything we want to do on an individual level, we do have the ability to impact those systems in a really big way. Yeah. And well, that's, first off, like, Tracking and measuring, right, yep. um, you know, is a big thing that HR can do on this. If there's one of your locations where, you know, no women are rising above a certain level, well, now we know there's something there, right? And you can measure that and then you could deal with that. Uh, the other thing, I think, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, and I do have something about that in the book, it's not really focused on that necessarily, but is, you know, everyone has blind spots, even the most well-intentioned person or work team might will have blind spots, you know, just things they don't quite understand. But you have to make sure that you're listening to a, a real variety and diversity of people from different backgrounds um, and, and, and make that part of your decision making. Um, and I think that that's a real challenge, especially I think for upper level managers that sometimes becomes a challenge because they spend a lot of their time with a lot of their time with other upper level managers. Um, and you can have blind spots, right? Um, yeah. About you know, um, you know, I don't want to get stereotypical, but if all your upper level managers are these old white guys who had a stay at home spouses who didn't, and they didn't have to deal with like work family challenges, well, they might not understand what a lot of their employees are dealing with, right? A lot of their male employees might be dealing with, right? Because that's not what we did in my day. Um, and they might be fully intentioned, well intentioned to be like, hey, we want to support working moms and dads, but they don't. They might not know how unless they're including lots of these people in decision making and in, in listening. So yeah. um, that is something. And, you know, again, that's one of the major roles, I think, in a more strategic approach to human resources is to really make sure that we are listening and measuring to find out what's going on. And then also that we we measure and we look at our data to, to make better decisions going forward. And, you know, again, that's. I don't think a lot of people sitting there to hire somebody are twisting their mustaches saying, ha, 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 I'm not going to hire any people of color. But, you know, sometimes if you've created a hiring system that has some flaws in it that work against certain types of people, you need to detect that, right? And then change that. And I think, yep. you know, HR has a big part uh, to play in that. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be open to that. You've got to get out of the echo chamber. And, yeah. and that's where, you know, this is probably an overused term, but you know, we talk about speaking truth to power. Yeah. You know, I, I actually consider that one of the most important things that HR can do is be that, be that voice, um, for individuals that maybe don't have that voice at the table. And yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the, you know, old white guys with wives that, you know, don't work outside the home and, you know, never had any of these issues. I mean, the last example I used of the, the daycare, you know, challenges. That was the exact conversation I was having with a number of old white guys that didn't under, you know, they're like, why do we, why do we need to invest in this? Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do that? And, you know, you've, you've got to be a little bit of an advocate for, yeah. for these types of things as well. I, I agree a hundred percent. So yeah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of my favorite companies that, and I profiled them in the book, it's a Ryan LLC. They're called their financial services firm based out of Dallas. And they transformed many years ago to a results-only workplace. So they were like one of those like work-till-you-die kind of places. And then they became a 
yeah, you work from anywhere at any time. As long as your work gets done, everybody's happy. And it was a hard transition. It took them eight years to really implement it and stuff. But the HR folks were trying to push for becoming a more flexible organization for years. And the, the CEO was always like, no, I don't want flex. I don't want blah. You know, that's too touchy-feely, whatever. And then this one young up-and-coming employee walked into the CEO's office with a tear coming down her eye and handed her resignation. And she said, listen, I love this job. I love this company, but I'm starting a family and I, I don't see how I can make that work here. And that got to the CEO. That was the flash that, that led the CEO to like get it. And he called in his, his head of HR and was like, do it, do everything you want to do. <laughs> and once, you know, and then they had a great HR team and they implemented it super well. They partnered all around. Like, you know, it wasn't just coming from HR. They really, you know, worked with, uh, you know, really diverse task forces on, on lots of these issues and everything. And, uh, but once senior leadership bought in and put their weight behind it, that's when changes came. So, you know, everyone has a role to play here. I think HR could be the advocate for these things in many cases and can implement them when they're given the go ahead to, uh, leadership has to get it and put their weight behind it. And then I think there's a lot of bottom up that also, you know, can and should happen as well, that good ideas from different employees or different managers should be able to get filtered up and, and spread around. Absolutely. All right. So I'm, you know, this is for me, like I'm, I'm hundred percent aligned. Like this is an inspirational yeah. discussion. I guarantee you there's some people listening to this going, geez, this is, this is just too much. I mean, come on. Like, you know, it, at what point is an employee, you know, just like, just being kind of whiny and like, you know, when do we, where do we draw the line? Right. So, you know, is there a point where employees are asking for too much or are being, you know, bringing too much of their whole self to the equation? I mean, I suppose some cynical people will say that. Um, <laughs> listen, I, you know, I don't think so. I think that, um, again, what we're seeing with the great resignation and other things, this is, these are employees who feel like over the last 18 months, stuff has been hard. And they're reevaluating who they work for. And the thing they're evaluating is, well, did my employer seem to consider me as a person through all this? And whether it was, you know, the, the cook at a restaurant or whether it's, you know, an HR person at a company, did they consider me? You know, are they considering me now as we're figuring out a return to workplace? Right? I mean, so... Yes, maybe employees are asking for more in some cases, but I don't see that as inappropriate or whiny in, in uh, cases. And yes, sometimes work is work, right? And sometimes you just have to get through stuff to get through stuff. Totally. And sometimes you got to pay your dues in your career to get to certain places. And, you know, that's all true. But the the fact is, you know, it's it shouldn't be like this gauntlet where you have to shut pieces of yourself down <laughs> to go to work, right? You know, so I, I think managers who feel like you should just leave everything at the door and come to work and just be focused on work, they're that they might believe that. But as we were saying before, that doesn't really happen. And in fact, uh, one one employer I talked to for the book that's a small furniture manufacturer in New Jersey, 
you know, not that many people, it's a very small custom furniture place. And he's like, God, I don't want somebody to come in with something hanging over stress hanging over their heads. Or I, he was talking about, um, like if one of my employees kids is sick and now he's like, well, somebody's kind of watching them and I'm coming to work. And it's like, no, they're distracted. They can make an act. They can get hurt. They can get somebody else hurt. They could ruin this piece of furniture. The more we can get people to not have to make these kinds of choices, right. Or, you know, between coming to work or not feeling good about, you know, whether my kid is able to go to school or, or whatever it might be, it affects the work. Um, so that would be my answer to that, to that cynical approach is that if we want people to really be, you know, engaged at work and do their best work, I think it requires us, you know, again, not just valuing them for, for the part of the person that they are at the workplace for eight hours a day. It takes valuing them as more than that. and and taking into account the other stuff they have going on. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And if I equate that to my personal experience and, you know, I'm sure a lot of HR professionals listening to this are going to kind of understand this. So one of my coping mechanisms early on in my career was compartmentalization. Okay. So I would, I would flip, I would literally like in my mind, flip a switch. And the intention was now I can do the tough stuff, which is Mm -hmm. for me is, letting somebody go. Sure. You know, I hate that, you know, yeah, of course. if anybody likes it, like get out of HR, you should, you should not right. be in HR. If you of like course. that, right. No, it's, you know, like, like, yeah, please. Yeah. And, and, and you're probably not listening to this podcast. So, you know, no, one <laughs> it doesn't impact, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, so my approach was, yeah, like, like literally like shut off my emotions. Yeah. Put on the and, armor. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it was like, and I did that early on and that's, that's how I coped, but it wasn't healthy. And I got to a point where I got some, some really, really critical feedback in a situation that was really tough. And somebody was like, dude, you were a different person. Like, who was yeah. that? Right. Like you were not, you were not the Kyle that I know. And, you know, I kind of verbal, I verbally processed it with that person. And I realized, oh, it's because I do that. Right. It's because I was like, I was like shutting off that part of me that was human so that I could you know, power through this thing that was really emotionally challenging for me. And ultimately, you know, that wasn't an effective way to work. And I had to find, I had to find ways to cope with the tough parts of the job in a way that allowed me to be authentic when I did it. But that's the same experience that everybody else is going through. If they have to shut off a part of them in order to do their job, it's going to impact them in, in some way, shape, or form negatively. And it, and ultimately that will impact your workplace. Right. And that does not mean it's like, Hey, it's a free for all. Like everybody can just do what they want and everybody can just say what they want. Right. Like we're that, right. people have that. Like I've gotten that question before on, on interviews. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. You know, what we want to have is a workplace where people feel valued and in ways large and small. And if we do that, we, you know, again, it's a better workplace and it's also better for employees in the rest of their lives. I heard it. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, there's so much out there right now about being your authentic self and like, you yeah. know, and like radical honesty and stuff. And, uh, and I saw a great post, a great post the other day and the, the, the post was basically like, listen, it's great to be honest, 
but you don't have to be a complete and utter jerk in your right. authenticity, right? Like, like there are ways to do this. I know a lot of, a lot of jerks like this. You're like, no, I'm just being honest, man. It's like, no, you're, you're being a jerk. Like, I'm bringing my whole, I'm bringing my whole authentic self to work by being a jerk. <laughs> right. Right. Well, actually, so, you know, the, it's funny. The whole person workplace refers to the workplace. I'm not really talking about, um, I've gotten that question before on interviews too, about, so bringing your whole self to work. And I'm like, well, that's important. That's not what I've, you know, that's not what I've written about, but we want people to feel comfortable to be themselves broadly at work, certainly in, you know, parts of their identity and their background and things like that need to be respected. But yes, and believe me, listen, I work in academia. So, you know, you have tenured professors who are there for a very long time. And if anything, we are like the, the slice of the American workplace that could face almost no consequence, right? So we have lots of my uh, colleagues who are far too much themselves, I think. <laughs> yeah, my parents were in higher ed, so um, yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard a couple stories here and there. I'll take your word for it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's a really important point to make, and it's you know, but it's something that I just think this last year has been really, really challenging. Obviously, yeah. there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of sadness. There's been a lot of loss. Sure. Um, but it's also been a great opportunity for us to wake up as a, as a country and, and as workplace professionals that there are more to people than, yeah. than what they've got sitting on their desk right now. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I just think and, it's so and, important. Yeah. And I think, listen, um, even people who've gotten through the, the pandemic about as well as you can are still probably not fully themselves um, and might not be for quite a while. So I think there's a whole underlying, like, even if someone seems to have their stuff together, they're not quite as together as maybe they were in 2018 or something, right? I think that that goes for a lot of people. That's why we're seeing people freak out on airplanes and, and things like that. Yeah. And you know, I think it's just because there's this pent up anxiety that has had nowhere to go uh, for a lot of people. And um, I think we should be mindful of that, that there's going to be this underlying sense of unwellness and what we could do to maybe help people uh, process some of this stuff uh, might be might be useful, too. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. You know, the some of the awareness of mental health issues. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's really healthy to that. Some of that stuff is coming out and that, and that we're talking about it and it's, and it's, there's less stigma there, but there's, I still, I still think there's very much some stigma there and there's still some fear, especially for a working professional to really bring that up and be honest about it. And, and, you know, and, and, and I think also a challenge for HR professionals to understand, okay, how do I, how do I foster somebody being comfortable, you know, bringing, bringing those challenges forward and, you know before we get to a point where I have to put somebody on a performance improvement plan, yeah, you know, is there yeah. actually, is there something deeper uh, going yeah. on that, that doesn't deserve disciplinary action? Right. Right. That's, that's a tough challenge right now. So, um, yeah. Well, what is, you know, this raises a point that, that I just like to make too, is that, you know, a whole person workplace, again, there's, there's accountability uh, to this too. I mean, because we're leading with trust doesn't mean it's a free for all. Right. You you can lead with trust and have the accountability behind it. Right. So 
people working from home or, you know, people having more flexible approaches, right? You know, they, that could be, if someone abuses that or somebody doesn't work well like that, then that could be pared back, right? Um, but I think we should lead with a high trust type of approach. You want to know my opinion on that? The whole, like, okay. the argument that, like, all the, you know, these people are going to, you know, try to, you know, mm-hmm. falsify productivity or whatever. Like, my argument is whether they're in the office or not, that they are going to do that anyways. I think so too. <laughs> they, Absolutely. It, people who are predisposed to, do as little work as possible and try to just like float <laughs> under the radar and like right, right. spend more time, you know, at the water cooler, like talking about their fantasy football league. Right. You know, those are the same people that are not going to be as productive working from home. You know, that I mean, it's just, I think it's just all about yeah, getting the right people on the team and then supporting yeah. them to achieve the goal. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's, so, that is so much of the thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I tell my HR students all the time, Everything in HR is really important. The most important thing, however, is hiring. Um, yep. Because if you do a good job hiring, like 90% of your problems go away, <laughs> right? Um, and so, like, we should really lead on that. And, like, if we want to have a whole person workplace, we should recruit and hire and orient new employees in a way that's consistent with that, right? And there's things we could look for in people's backgrounds. There are questions we could be asking them on interviews. Um, there are certainly ways during orientations and onboarding that we can make sure people know what our values are as a workplace and set them up for success in a workplace like that. So sometimes it's not just a new policy or program to support people, but it's embedding kind of the, the values that we have in the normal stuff we do in human resources. So I actually have a whole chapter on, on just what I just talked about on the, um, recruitment, hiring and onboarding. Um, also on job design um, yeah. and how we get more humane approaches to job design. And then, you know, obviously compensation and performance management, you know, how we measure performance, you know, can enable a lot of great stuff to happen or can really squash good stuff from happening. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, if we, uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm sure your audience knows all about that. So, um, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love, uh, I love incentive programs because a lot of times we call them incentive programs and they incentivize the behaviors we don't even want to happen. <laughs> it's yeah. We don't have time for that on this, on this show. But, and uh, yeah, but it, absolutely, absolutely correct. You know, you, you hire the right people and then get out of the way. That's, that's yep. what I, you know, that's, that's really what HR needs to do. But you know, and my goal is always, I, tr- I want to work myself out of a job, right? Like I want my leaders to be so good that like, yeah, you don't, you really don't need me to give you any advice, but the truth is we're all human. So, you know, people, people always need support, but well, we are, we are getting close to our, to the end of our time together. And I want to make sure that we, I'm really curious to hear your responses to these questions. So we're going to shift gears. We're going to go into the rebel HR flash round. All right. So three questions. This one's probably a little bit unfair. Uh, going okay. to somebody who is in, in, in academia, um, but uh, I'm going to ask it. I'm going to ask it anyway. So, what is your favorite people book? Something that gave you insight about humans? Wow, um, I'm going to go like complete different direction with this than you, than you think. Um, my favorite of the Chronicles of Narnia books, which is uh, hmm. the Horse and His Boy. 
Um, and there's a quote that I just, I, I remember so well from it and I, I keep in mind, which is the reward for doing something good is very often to be set to do another harder and more important task. Um, and I think that there's a real insight there that the reward for doing something good is the opportunity to do even more good, even if it's harder. And I think that was, that's, uh, I don't know, it's like inspirational thing about uh, maybe the good side of people, or in this case, a horse and his boy. But um, I love yeah, that. Anyway, right. okay. That's the first time we've had that response. <laughs> okay. Well, I know because you know, I do read a lot of like, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, I'm a professional reader in many ways. So <laughs> you can, Yeah, you could have cited like, you know, something with like a Harry Potter and the dynamic impact of human relations on you know, <laughs> geopolitical, whatever, you know, but um, yeah, like that was great. I love that. I like that. <laughs> All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Huh? Well, what do you mean? I'm sorry. I, you can take that wherever you want, Scott. Okay. Wow. Who should we be <laughs> listening to? Um, wow. Um, you know, to bring it back to the workplace, I guess. Um, I think we should be listening to the the younger generations of our employees. Um, I think they have a lot of ideas. They really want to work at places that that value the same things they value. Um, and I think one of the things I love about working with young people, um, as I do at my university, is they continually inspire me to stay current. And to think about things in a new way. So I think if we listen to like the young people we're able to work, that we are able to work with, I think that will keep us kind of mentally fresh and young. Yeah, it might make you feel old when yes. you don't know what oh the heck God. you're talking about. <laughs> you, you, but oh, when like you know references to whatever like. I, it, <laughs> <laughs> Forget it. Um, they don't understand my Gen X, uh, you know, references. Yeah. It's anyway. like it's like when it's kind of like when Nirvana plays on the the oldies station. You're like, wait, no, yeah. that's not oldies. Oh, I guess it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, and I love it. Uh, again, this is another podcast, but you know, all of the research around, you know, like millennials and Gen Z, and like all the, you know, there's it's just, there's almost a full industry around you know generational yeah. differences, but. But when you look into it, it's like, you know, really, they just want they just want the same thing that everybody else wanted. They're just more empowered to tell us about it because we yeah. have all these different communication channels. And oh, by the way, now it's it's kind of their market now that they if they don't like an employer, every yeah. employer is hiring. So they could probably go find a company that they really want to work at if they want to. <laughs> yeah, it's good for them. Um, yeah. yeah, no. And again, I Yes, it makes me feel old a fair amount when I'm work at a university, but it, it keeps me young. So uh, yeah, I never yeah. want to be the old man shouting at the cloud. You know, that's. Just... <laughs> I don't know. I you know someday like I, like I'm you know someday I want to be the cranky old uh, wise guy. You know that people are like, oh yeah, okay. you know he knows his stuff, but yeah, but you know not for a while, right? Let's give that a few right, years, right. But in an endearing way. I want that. You know, that's like my aspirational. Like yeah. my, you know, I want to be the. The crazy old kook. Anyway, all right, last question. How can our listeners connect with you? Oh, okay. So first off, if you want to buy the whole person workplace, building better workplaces through work life, wellness, and employee support, you go to anywhere you buy books, I guess. Amazon, probably the easiest way. IndieBound would be my recommended way, and that's the uh, online bookseller that's a collective of all different independent bookstores around the country. 
But if you want to know more about me and my work, uh, my other writing, you know, my workshops and speaking engagements and things like that, uh, scottbeeson.com, S-C-O-T-T-B-E-H-S-O-N.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to connect with you there. Perfect. And we will have all that information in the show notes. So just take a moment on your podcast player, click in the, uh, click in the show notes to learn more. And yeah, uh, really, really looking forward to it. I'm going to go, let's see, we're about four days before the book release. So I'm going to give it a few days, but then, yeah, I definitely want to check out this book. Just great content. I can tell that we're very like-minded and, um, you know, looking forward to, to hearing some of the stories about others doing this. That's where I get a lot of my inspiration. So I appreciate you doing that research and, and bringing that together for us. So thank you so much for the time, Scott. It's been wonderful. Great. Thank you, Kyle. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.